the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is a generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's a piece yours truly hosted that I trust you will enjoy. Joined now by Representative Mike Gallagher. Follow him on Twitter at Rep Gallagher. Uh, Congressman, good morning to you. Good morning. And uh, though, though I'm in D.C., it's a very cold morning in Wisconsin. Well, you are the Patriot Mobile uh, member of the week, and therefore I have to begin politely. But now I can turn to the real issue. Uh, you know, they used to call this football weather in Wisconsin. Now they call it a polar vortex. I think this is an indication of national decline that Wisconsinites are complaining about the cold. There are certain levels of cold that even Wisconsinites have to take a step back and appreciate. My district director uh, texted me saying the air temperature is 24 below zero right now. Uh, wind chill is 50 to 60 below right now. and will be 30 below or colder until noon tomorrow. So people need to stay inside, wait this one out. Uh, we are not immune to cold in Wisconsin. We just don't complain about it like everybody else. I, I'm just amazed. They used to say, let's go out and toss the ball around. And this is the decline and fall of the West, because here you are. The first thing you brought up was how cold it was and wisconsinites and minnesotians used to just say let's let's play two they were ernie banks for the vikings and the packers and you guys have gone soft well i will not dispute the idea that our entire society is going soft and i will immediately after this go do as many pull-ups as possible to atone for my sins all right now let me talk about the fact do you think uh, crenshaw is going to beat you in the 5k this year uh, probably impossible for him to do that, but we'll see. I invite the challenge. You know, he's got a knife on his desk, and I, I wouldn't put it past the seal to come up behind you and, and kind of hamstring you. You never fear the guy who has a knife on his desk. Fear the guy who hides the knife somewhere. <laughs> okay. Let's get very, very serious. Let's talk about fear. Uh, and I mean really serious. Reports this morning on the front page of the Washington Post. Maduro has sent out his death squads. They are killing people in the slums of, of uh, Caracas, and they're going to keep killing them. Is it time to move with the military intervention of the U.S., Brazil, and Colombia against the thug and his secret police? Well, the first thing I'd say to you is that I think the administration is on the right track. I think their message has been clear, consistent, and forceful. And I think lost in the recent reporting is the fact that they appointed Elliot Abrams to manage the entire effort. I think this was the right choice. I think it was a master stroke, and Elliot brings a wealth of experience. And so the challenge going forward is, as you suggest, to work through those regional governments. The good news is, is that we're not pushing against the sentiment of our allies in the region. Rather, we are harnessing it. We have um, Colombia, we have Brazil, we have the Secretary General of the Organization of American States, all pushing for tough sanctions. And in the case of Colombia and Brazil, they bring capable militaries to the fight. So I fear this debate is being framed, as it always is when we talk about managing crises abroad, as a choice between doing nothing and an all-out invasion, when the reality is that we have a lot of options in the middle. And we can work by, with, and through those regional partners 
to ensure that this thing doesn't go completely off the rails. And I think our military can play a unique role, not only in enabling the Colombians and the Brazilians, and hopefully eventually co-opting the Venezuelan military and convincing them to abandon Maduro, but also ensuring that Russia and other outside powers do not provide more support to Maduro. That is a constructive role we can play that strikes a balance between nothing, as the left is arguing, and all-out invasion, on the other hand. Now, now I'm I'm arguing for all-out invasion. I'll tell you why. Because 35 people are dead who weren't dead last week. And I believe when a thug decides to go down this road, um, like Zimbabwe's Mugabe, they don't stop. They don't maintain a, a baseline of violence. They don't say, okay, 35 a week will do it. They increase it. Uh, and especially if there's another massive protest today, he's going to double down. He's a killer. And so if we delay what we can do, and George H.W. Bush with Panama showed it can be done, we're condemning people to die that don't have to die, Representative Gallagher. And, and I mean, this isn't about another day without food or another day of marginal starvation or another day of refugee flows. All the stuff that might have acted prompted uh, Colombia and Brazil to act eventually. It's about, you know, body counts. Mm. Well, I will concede to you this, Hugh. Uh, the vice president wrote and, and reinforced in his speech that Maduro must go. And indeed, they are rallying countries around the world to accept that position. You don't say something like that unless you are prepared to back it up. Now, I don't know if uh, John Bolton's uh, yellow pad, 5,000 troops, was deliberate or not. All I know is that John Bolton is a very smart man who doesn't do things uh, casually. Um, perhaps it was intended to send a deliberate signal. If you look at what that means, that's a bit too large to be a Marine Expeditionary Unit, but 5,000 troops is roughly an Army Brigade combat team. That equates to a quick reaction force with some civil affairs capability, but very little armor or artillery. artillery. So basically, that's um, policing capability, light policing capability, but probably enough to get the job done in cooperation with Brazil and Colombia and their forces. And historically, it's parallel to what we sent in terms of airborne troops into Panama during the Bush 41 administration. And it also suggests that um, we're not staying. It's not a giant logistical buildup. It is more of we've got an opposition. And, and interestingly enough, Eli Lake wrote about this. There is a Venezuelan Supreme Court in exile of authoritatively appointed, legitimately appointed people under the Chavez Constitution, who have declared from abroad, they meet virtually, these justices of the Venezuelan Supreme Court who have been sent into exile, Maduro, they have legitimized Guaido's claim, and they will immediately return to the country if that combat brigade, Colombia and Brazil, enter. they don't have to stay. The country will actually kind of revert to the norm pretty quickly, and I would guess we'd flood the zone with engineers and oil producers. Absolutely. And I just want to point out, I mean, here's a difference for everyone who's characterizing this as, you know, another Afghanistan, another Syria, another Iraq. Here's the difference. As I think Ross Dothat pointed out quite well uh, in The New York Times this morning, that this is in our own backyard, right? From the Monroe Doctrine onward, we have treated our hemisphere different than we've treated uh, the Eurasian landmass. And for just a simple reason that they're close to us, unlike Syria and Afghanistan. And so I think this is a good opportunity to reassert control over our own backyard and also reduce Russian influence in the region. And for once, geography favors us. Usually we're having, in other words, usually we're having to counter Russia and China on their turf, playing an away game. This is our hemisphere. It's a home game. And if Russia and China want to try and mess with our hemisphere, then we have a duty to send a clear signal 
signal that we will not abide by that. And, and, and I said on Meet the Press on Sunday, and Chuck was a little bit, Chuck Todd was a little bit taken aback, that I believe military intervention there would unify the country. And Chuck said, getting involved in the Latin American Civil War? And I said, yeah. And I didn't say, I should have said, I always think about it later, because we love freedom and we support freedom. And then, lo and behold, the Metternich of NBC, uh, MSNBC, Ben Rhodes, shows up with Chris Murphy in the Washington Post arguing for intervention. And so I actually believe, except for a small sliver of very loud neo-Stalinists from the old nation crowd and David Korn from Mother Jones, et cetera, that the country would support this. This is Hugh. This is what I like to call a Ghostbusters moment. It's it's cats and dogs living together. I mean, we have Ben Rose and Hugh Hewitt united on the same page. I, I thought I would never see this happen. Uh, indeed, I think the sentiment in in Congress, uh, certainly in the Senate, where we have great leaders like Marco Rubio uh, leading on this, um, uh, I think there's a bipartisan consensus that. Uh, we cannot sit on our hands and do nothing. Now, we do have some extremists, uh, particularly in the progressive wing and the Democratic caucus in the House, uh, that sort of, I think, see their own political views wrapped up in uh, the Maduro regime uh, and also want to use this as a way to character the Trump administration as warmongering, highly interventionist, when the reality is far from that. But I do think there's a bipartisan consensus that we cannot sit on our hands. We cannot sit on the sidelines. This is our hemisphere. We must, at very least, prevent an atrocity from developing in Venezuela. And, and it's, it's already underway. That's what it's not a Rwanda tr- uh, atrocity. It's not a Congo atrocity where 900 people were killed last week. But it's 35 and rising. And we don't expect Maduro to change. And so I hope we move quickly. Now, let me let me ask you about um, Trump derangement syndrome. Has it so deeply embedded itself that Democrats who would otherwise other in other cases do good deals won't deal with Trump because it might make him look good. I have in mind not merely the Venezuelan expeditionary force, but also uh, a border security immigration reform deal that that could get, I think, 80 percent of the Republicans and 80 percent of the Democrats to agree. I think so, unfortunately, Hugh. I mean, I sat there in the White House Situation Room with the vice president and the president and a group of five Democrats, five Republicans. And I will say the Democrats around the table were seemed genuinely committed to trying to get a deal. But it was clear that they were uh, there that we were speaking a different language. Right. And, and for some reason, whenever you talk about even even for Democrats who are willing to support physical border security, when you say the wall, all of a sudden you cannot be for physical border security. And so I worry that in the polarized political environment, with the 2020 vortex, vortex sucking everything into its wake, it's going to be very difficult for us to get a deal on border security when there is such an obvious deal right in front of us, right? Some combination of physical border security, particularly in the 234 miles the administration laid out, combined with personnel, combined with technology, combined with more resources to the court system so we can adjudicate asylum claims, combined with some action on DACA strikes me as so obvious. It is maddening that we can't get there. And I hate to say it, but I've concluded that Nancy Pelosi would rather use this issue as a wedge issue in the election, but also I think she's afraid of the energy coming from the progressive caucus um, 
in the house. And any any attempt to strike a deal uh, could be very dangerous for her because it would spark a revolt from that progressive caucus. Last question. Yesterday, because you're on the House Armed Services Committee, the chairman of your Senate counterpart, Jim Inhofe, concluded my interview by saying he changed his mind. He wants the military to establish a space force. That means Sask will do it. Will Hask support it? Because the president wants it, but the Congress decides if it happens. I think uh, the uh, the House Armed Services Committee, under the leadership of uh, relevant uh, ranking member Mike Turner, uh, will thoughtfully look at this issue and support the direction the Air Force wants to go, which is to say consolidating all our space authorities under the Air Force. So you don't create a separate service entirely, but you do create a more robust element within the Air Force that can confront the fact that China is investing heavily in space with the goal of becoming, if not the dominant power, uh, or with the goal of becoming the dominant power. And as far back as 2007, China carried out a successful anti-satellite test. And so that shows that we're falling behind in space. We have to take this seriously. And I'm confident that we'll head in the right direction on the Armed Services Committee. 30 seconds, Mike Gallagher. That was a no. Jim Inhofe was a yes. Uh, but he had changed his mind. I think the president's going to get his way on this, but you're saying no. I'm a yes if we can put it under the Navy. I mean, it's a naval service. <laughs> Look no further than Star Trek just to know that these are naval, naval ranks that we're dealing with here. It's Captain Kirk, Captain John Luke Picard. Well, now we have at least a clear line that will have to be crossed. Thank you. Don't put it under the Navy. Space Force by itself. Thank you, Congressman Mike Gallagher, the Patriot Mobile Member of the Week. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, where they're preparing leaders for the public square. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.